Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This holiday season, we're getting drunk. Join Emily and Flo as they drink their way through December with a different festive genre each week as voted for by you. Action. Horror. Classic. What is eggnog? Children. Never really had a glass of milk anymore. And never seen before. I've never seen Die Hard. So grab a sherry and a mince pie and join in the fun. Why this film's Drunk Christmas starts December the 1st. But, you know, I think that's a part of growing up. You just, you get, like, these cartoons put immeasurable guilt on you about stuff you can't control and you just live with it. And that's life. (laughs) (laughs) Merry Christmas. And welcome back to Why This Film, the podcast where we reach back into your childhood, pluck out a movie, give it a rewatch, and have a chat about it. I'm Emily Slade, and welcome back. You watched it so many times before, and now you're gonna watch it again. But it's been so many years since you last saw it, and now you show it to your friends, and they're like, What? What am I watching? Why? The- what? Is this? Why? Why this film? And I'm joined today by Elwood Jones from the Asian Cinema Film Club, amongst many others. Hello! Hello! Thank you for having me on. Absolutely, you're welcome. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Um, I'm very excited. Your chosen movie is 1995's Mortal Kombat, the IMDb Breakdown. Three unknowing martial artists are summoned to a mysterious island to compete in a tournament whose outcome will decide the fate of the world. Why this film? Well, this Mortal Kombat is such a huge part, not only of my childhood, but it crosses over so much from tapping into things I loved in sort of the film world and also just as a video game player. Uh, Mortal Kombat touches in so <laughs> many aspects of my life and it's one of those things that I sort of carried through from childhood, much like Godzilla movies, and somehow managed to work into different aspects of my career. Um, but no, <laughs> Mortal Kombat, when it came out to I me, mean, was like the sleepover movie of choice. Um, it tapped into nice. all those areas that you want for a sleepover movie. I mean, it's fast-paced, it's got loads of action, there's a healthy amount of violence, but at the same time, nothing to get your parents too antsy if you've got like sort of parents who care about age ratings <laughs> and things. Um, you've got fantasy elements and you've got kung fu and it just taps into all these different sort of genres and things that just appeal to you when you're a kid and it just made it no matter how many times you've seen it if somebody was having a sleepover and they were sort of like we should watch Mortal Kombat it was like there was no question of any other movie being put on it was sort of like (laughs) it's Mortal Kombat time yeah even now you mentioned Mortal Kombat and people just you can tell the like the 90s kids who just like grew up with this movie they're just like they either be like super amped to talk about it or you will be greeted with the deep voice growl of Mortal Kombat and then followed by some like <laughs> uh, sim- nonsense going on 
Um, even now, <laughs> just mentioning the word Mortal Kombat just makes you want to say it in that sort of uh, techno tone. So... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. It's such a, you're perfectly right. It's such a popcorn sleepover movie. Um, I'd never ever seen it before. I sort of knew of its existence, but I, I'd never sort of come across it at all. Um, it was such a pleasure to watch. <laughs> like, I cannot tell you what the plot is if you paid me. But I had a very good time watching it. And I think I messaged a bunch of people like, we have to get drunk and watch this movie. <laughs> I'm so glad because it's. I always hope that people still like it. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of movies that you grow up with and you have nostalgia with it. And it gives films sort of that unfair advantage. Like, there's people who grew up with the Goonies who love the Goonies. And then there's people who watch it now yeah. and they're like, what's the fuss with this movie? This isn't good. And to hear somebody come to Mortal Kombat now and still enjoy it, like all these years later, it's just a, a delight uh, to hear. So, yeah, I was I was genuinely surprised. I really was. I was like, okay, let's let's watch Mortal Kombat. Like, I'm I'm interested to see sort of what it is. Um, I've not seen many movies from video games, and this sort of seems to have with my very vague awareness of it, a, a, a sort of cult, cult following. Like, I feel like it's one of those ones that does badly on Rotten Tomatoes with the critics mm. and well with the audience, that sort of vibe. So I was like, I'm sure it'll be fun. Now, this is coming from someone who came to The Matrix 15 years too late, but it, I, I was thinking it's visually as good. Like, initially I was watching it, and I was like, this is giving me Matrix yep. vibes where... You know, I came to The Matrix way after I'd seen The Matrix in everything else, you know what I mean? It was no longer original, but it's still obviously visually stunning and it's very cool in that way. And and this was it. And I was watching this movie and I was like, what is, what is it? What am I trying to call this movie? And please try and understand where I'm going with this. It's, it's not beautiful. It's not a beautiful movie, but it's a hot movie like it's a real pleasure for my eyes it's like mm, yes i'm enjoying <laughs> watching this and it's you know moments of it obviously where it says is, is is beautiful but that's just the scenery the way it's crafted and the use of lighting and all of the different set pieces it's like it's like hot it's like oh yeah <laughs> this could be on the front of a magazine and that'd be cool oh definitely this this movie is real junk food for the soul i mean it's not designed to please mm. critics and like win awards this is a movie that just knows what it is it's and <laughs> Even when you sort of like dive deeper into it and you realise that basically it's just entered the dragon, but we've, you know, added like <laughs> added like uh, mutants and supernatural and magic and all these other bits and pieces that they sort of add in just to give it that to uh, put that sort of distance in and it really sort of taps into what Mortal Kombat is. Um, and especially when you compare it to like the other video game movies at the time, you had like Super Mario Brothers and you had Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. And Jean-Claude Van Damme is the who is who uh, Johnny Cage's character was originally based on. Um, he did a movie called Bloodsport, which again is another underground tournament Ooh. fighter. Really fantastic movie mm-hmm. if you've not seen it. It features uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme in his prime. Also features him going up against Bolo Young, who is in like complete beast mode. And 
basically, um, they saw the makers of the Mortal Kombat saw this, and it was like, we could really turn this into like a video game here. And they approached John Club Van Damme and said, you know, we want to make a video game about you, and he'd like turned it down. And and years later, when they were like coming to do the film, they like approached him again, but he decided to go off and make Street Fighter and have an affair with Kylie Minogue and. You know, history speaks for itself. I mean, Street Fighter has its fans, but it is no Mortal Kombat. Yeah, I I genuinely have no interest in Street Fighter because from my, again, my limited understanding, Mortal Kombat, first of all, I I never know how respectful it's being, but I love an East-West hybrid where they bring elements of both cultures into a movie and I'm like, "Mm, probably not okay, but like, for some reason, I really dig it. Um, and the fantasy elements where, like, the different weird characters and a guy shoots, like, a pterodactyl snake <laughs> out of his hand and, like, they go to, like, a hell and b- invent Ghost Rider and blow him up. And I'm like, what the fuck? Is it so good? <laughs> so much fun. Um the, can we talk about that character? I could, no idea what his name is. Okay. Um, he's like if um, the Scorpion King and early Thanos had a child. Yep. Um, well, his his that name one. is actually Scorpion. No yep, way. He's called Scorpion. He's the yellow ninja. And the blue ninja is called oh, Sub-Zero. Oh, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, like, the it's the guy that's like, he literally looks like early Thanos and bad... Scorpion King from the Mummy Oh, we Returns. talk about Goro. Like, yes. yes. Yeah, the guy with like, okay. all the arms. Yeah, Goro is the prince of the underworld and he's the general of the otherworld <sighs> armies. Um, okay. And hence that why we sense. have the wonderful scene of him and Kano, um, who's the guy with the mm-hmm. metal face mask. And yes. um, they have that conversation over to all, like, where he's all like, underworld is like, that is a mean underground. And he's like, yes, yeah, something like that. I, I'm huh. going to apologise because I could just quote this movie at will at this point. It's all like, <laughs> but um, never apologise for being able to quote a movie. It's a life. Yeah, time. Goro. He's um, obviously a big animatronic puppet. He cost over a million dollars to make mm-hmm. and required about twenty-two puppet operators and constantly broke down. Wow. But oh. it gives the film <laughs> such last ability and the presence yeah. that that character needs. Because where the when you look at characters like Reptile, who's in that '90s CGI, which has not aged well, where it's like the Lawnmower mm-hmm. Man. Um, I think the fact that Goro, being such a central big character, and the fact that they spent the money to make him animatronic, really sort of pays off. And you have that scene where he goes up against Johnny Cage, you know, when he's interacting with like Kano, and actors just respond so much better if it's a practical effect. It's not like you're having to talk to like a tennis ball on a stick or something. Uh, and say oh yes there's going to be a giant robot here and you know (laughs) go to this spot definitely yeah yeah be scared yes exactly yeah like if that was coming towards me in a fighting ring i would genuinely be frightened like it, it really does it's he's like really great looking and he's you can tell he's there and you can tell he's touching you and like picking you up and stuff and like that's really really cool you're right it and everything there's a lot of that in this movie a lot of real practical effects where they can and it it means that when they do have to use cgi it's not so awful because they use it quite sparingly and for quite clever things like it's like oh we'll use it for like lightning so like that kind of makes sense so then it's you know it looks a bit weird but it's fine because it's lightning but for this bit we're gonna 
go like Cronenberg all over the place. <laughs> it was really cool. Yeah, definitely so. And I, I think when it came to the script, I mean, the script itself, when it was first made, it was a lot more straight laced. And thanks to like um, how Ashby, who plays Joanne Cage and uh, Christopher Lambert, basically ab libbing, they put a bunch of uh, jokes into the scene, like the scene where Johnny Cash's sunglasses get broken. He's sort of like, oh, those were like $1,000 sunglasses, asshole. That wasn't in the yeah. script. That was completely ab But now it's like everyone's favorite line in the movie. Iconic. Um, yeah, I did wonder. It's so it's so fresh. Every all the little like jokes, and it keeps you really entertained. And it 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 levels out the sort of serious. Is if it tried to take itself too seriously, I don't think it would be as enjoyable. So I think it was a really smart move of them to keep those in. Definitely so. And I mean, the fact that Christopher Lambert here, who is playing once again. A character, he's he's almost like horribly miscast, but it works. Like in we saw him in Highlander. Yeah. Because um, in the video games, Raiden is a Chinese thunder god, and originally they'd uh, approached. Um, oh, I can't remember his name now. Um, from Saw and Lethal Weapon, Danny Glover. Right, and yeah. um, they they couldn't get to him, and they decided that they were going to. Um, they tried to approach Sean Connery, but he was too busy playing golf. Because he was at that stage yeah, of his career. Yeah, like, no thanks. And um, they basically get to approach Crystal Lambert and he just absolutely knocks it out of the park. Just, It's hard now to look at yeah, that character man, and it's... not feel that like Crystal Lambert are just like, absolutely nailing the, this particular personification of the character. Um, yeah, it's, it's so bizarre. And it, it did feel wrong. And this is for, coming from someone who knows nothing about anything. But, you know, we're in sort of Thailand and they're like, ah, all these monks or whatever are like, it's our god. And this, like, white dude shows up with this weird American-European accent where he's clearly, it's like transatlantic, where he's clearly spent some time in, like, Europe, but he's also American, but he's kind of British. It's really bizarre voice that he's got. Um, And his character as well goes from being, like, sort of like early James Woods's Hades where it's like I'm threatening and I'm big and I'm like you know but I'm sort of like the wise man to take you through this journey but I like I'll like practically wink at the camera like a lot and say sorry a lot when he like gets super into something which I thought was really sweet because you could so easily have a god especially a weather god come down and just be like kind of standoffish and just sort of be like learn your lessons kids okay see ya but for him to be like you know he kicks gobbo whatever his name is in the balls and this thunder god is like yeah (laughs) sorry and you're like oh my god what is this (laughs) yeah i mean certainly it and it does bring it back to the other point you make about obviously like the the blending of west and eastern cultures you this guy is like back from like the game uh, where the guys who made it, I mean, they were big like kung fu cinema fans, and they were they drew inspiration from things like the Baby Cart and Peril movies, which is where Raiden's whole look comes from. It also takes inspiration from um, John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China, uh, with the fr- mm, the three yeah. storms. Um, just the whole yeah. look is just basically based on those two two characters, and mm-hmm. I think, as I said, it's. 
done in such a respectful way because it's one thing to obviously blend blend the two cultures but when you're doing it from a very sort of like pop cultural stance but in the same way there's a sense of respect about what you're doing i think it's a very different thing than if you're like taking this culture and using it for sort of like comical effect and like going oh aren't these yeah. they so backwards over in the east and that and it's with the Mortal Kombat films and then certainly with this film it's, it never feels like that it's sort of like oh we're going to borrow these mm. elements of mysticism and these ideas and mm-hmm. it just sort of adds this other level um, this yeah like we're bringing the Americans to this world and as such they're going to have to adhere by its rules and stuff we're not trying to force stereotypes into america we're like we're coming to their territory so we're gonna follow their rules as it were definitely so Um, does that make sense yeah yeah definitely so and it's a while this is supposed to be taking place on sort of like a earth realm it's got this other otherworldliness to about it when we see like (laughs) shang tsung's palace and you see like even dusty island and even when we have like the boat ride and we're going over in like the junker and you've got like the uh, mystical ghosts that are coming around and you've got Shang Tsung doing like his call to power to the otherworldly elements and things, it's you get this feeling that you're not you're on Earth but you're not quite on Earth at the same time. You're in this sort of like in between yeah. battleground. That sort of like New Zealand vibe. Whenever they have to shoot a fantasy and they go to New Zealand, it's that sort of realm where it's sort of like we know we are technically on earth but we're clearly in some sort of like mushroom ring on earth because it's just a little bit ethereal or whatever and mysterious yeah definitely so and i think it it's what this sort of like attention to detail which really sort of helped the film and this film as well is also the start of so many of like the trademarks that we've seen through Paul W. Sanderson's career and I mean he's one of these directors who's very easily dismissed as just being the guy who did all those Resident Evil movies but throughout his filmography there's some very interesting uh, work in terms of, like cinematography in terms of how he tells his stories and the producer of this film, they brought him on. They've seen his first film, Shopping, which is a London set uh, movie about Ram Raiders. It stars Jude Law and uh, mm-hmm. his former first wife, uh, Sadie, at the height of a, like a 90s sort of glam. And they basically brought him across and he had no idea about special effects or working on this sort of budget. And he basically said that he went to like the bookstore, bought every book he could get on like CGI and like matte paintings and just like <laughs> taught himself this so that when he was speaking to these guys, he was sort of like coming off as less of an idiot. Oh, um, well, and I mean, this is film is four years before The Matrix and it uses waifu techniques, which obviously The Matrix uh, incorporated with their bullet time. Oh, that's so interesting of course it's pre-matrix i didn't even you know when you're just like oh yes the matrix came out in 1900 (laughs) and like everything has been doing it since then but of course yeah this is five fucking years before oh yeah four five years i mean waifu techniques have been done for years in hong kong cinema when you look at like so much like wuxia movies and things such as like iron monkey um mm-hmm. this idea of like having actors fly through the air and doing like impossible stunts using wire work had never really been seen in the in the states before and it was all sort of like the Wachowskis mm-hmm. who brought it across and really popularized it with the matrix but um yes certainly yeah. the wire work here it it's not to the same sort of fantastical extremes but it certainly adds those uh elements such as like when you have like a character run up a wall and do a backflip um those sorts of yeah, elements yeah it's decent 
It's decent and it's good that they don't overuse it and it's not the only fighting technique they have. The fights are really good because they're all different. It's like really early Buffy. They're all really interesting and they're thought out and they use their surroundings really well. And I really loved how like when Sonya's got that douchebag between her thighs, well, <laughs> like her knees really, but like, you know, she's now covered in dirt. She's sweating. They're both sweating and he's like spitting Unvolunteer, like without, like just like spit is just coming out of his mouth because he's like can't breathe, just like onto her leg, and it's so simple. But I was just like, that's really happening. Like people are actually fighting and they're getting tired, and he's getting hurt. And like these human, th these images of these human things of sweat and spit and mud and stuff are just really, really cool to see because I honestly thought it was going to be very sort of polished and sort of Phantom Menace fighting where everything's very choreographed, but it felt really rough and ready and real, and that was really, really enjoyable to watch. Yeah, and I mean, even like the non-trained martial arts uh, members of the cast, I mean, such as like Bridget Wilson, who you mentioned already as Sonia, she actually took over from Cameron Diaz, who was originally going to play the role and broke her wrist during pre-production. Um, so... <laughs> How, can you imagine, can you imagine you'd be like, fuck! <laughs> Like that's because she, I assume by this point, Cameron Diaz had only really done the mask. So it wasn't like she had work coming in all over the place. You know, I mean, she was hot and everything, but she hadn't established herself as an actor really just no, yet. No, they were. And so she, she had a job lined up and then to break your wrist in the like training <laughs> bit beforehand, you'd just be like, oh, I'm so annoyed with myself. Yeah, definitely so. Uh... I mean, it, she, she got over it. She, she recovered, her career recovered. <laughs> Fine, but like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Bridget Wilson. I mean, she's that sort of one of those nineties uh, um, sort of pinups, really. I mean, she did there. She did Billy Madison. Uh, so she, while we obviously don't, she might not be like the most recognisable member of the cast in the nineties. She had that sort of name to her. Uh, whereas the other, a lot of the other cast yeah. are sort of like TV actors or the unknowns. But you come away not feeling that these people are bigger. I found that. Yeah, exactly. I found that really cool. I I liked that I didn't quite know who everybody was. And it wasn't even like they were giving the elements of other actors. Like I could see that Cameron Diaz could have been put in that role, but it, it would have been different. It would have been a different role because she's too perky for how grounded um, this actress made that character, um, who I was, was obviously paying very close attention to because I was like, this movie is inevitably going to be sexist i feel it and you know what it kind of wasn't like i was genuinely surprised with how ungratuitously sexist it was i mean you had your fucking like shit baiting <laughs> with your like oh yeah you're a girl so i'm gonna like talk to you like this yeah but then she crushes his head between her knees and i was like over it i was like eh, he came out and i was like kill him and then she did and i was like cool done <laughs> sorted I, I love the but with Sonya I mean she's always been like in the game I mean the game she's like the only female character in the original game but she's like the tough mm -hmm. chick and she's introduced as such in the mm -hmm. game I mean she's introduced Weld in the shotgun in the nightclub she's leading this military uh, special forces and she's the one barking orders and shooting guys through glass and stuff and as you said when she gets onto the island she does her own fighting I mean yes Johnny Cage is supposed to be, is the sexist asshole but that's his character 
because he's you know yeah and 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 he wasn't even that bad i was mainly talking about the like iron mask face oh with kano yeah because kano's to uh, to fight her because kano's her rival because um he's responsible for killing Mm. her partner um hence where you have all these like lots of taunts about um where he brings the knife in and he plays a lot of mind games and Mm. his performance here um because he was played by trevor goddard who played him as an Australian. Now in the game, he's a Japanese American, but the fans loved his performance so much that now every, every time Kano has turned up in the games, he's now Australian. Oh, wow. That's so um, good to be such, so influential. I mean, I never liked Kano in the games until I saw the film. And then suddenly he became like my favorite character <laughs> in the game. It's like, <laughs> that's so funny. Um, no, I really like that. Cause so often it's the like man they're out for revenge. Cause the girlfriend got yeah. killed. And here it's like, nah, the boyfriend got killed and she's out for revenge. And she, as I say, you have your sort of 90s banter from everyone, uh, whether you're a villain calling her feisty and sexy or whether you're the, like, main character who's going to hook up with her later, call it, like, having the sort of shit banter or mm. whatever. But it really wasn't that harmful. She She managed to play the character in such a way that she held her own and she stood her ground and it felt real everything felt genuinely real which is a testament in a movie where like a massive cgi rock monster comes out of a mountain at the end or whatever <laughs> like you know she she really did a good job to not fall into such a stereotype and um like i was so glad it really added to my enjoyment because i was so worried that she was just gonna be you know and some people may watch it and be unsatisfied with it but you sort of have to take it with a pinch of salt but i really didn't have to put that much salt on it um which i was really pleasantly surprised about she she really really was um pretty good she was never she and then i thought they'd ruined it where she gets kidnapped at the end obviously which again i kind of wasn't too bummed about because i was like She's completed her, like, side quest, and the other two, like, haven't yet. So it makes sense for her to be kidnapped because they still need to complete their quests, but she's done hers, so it's kind of fine. Um, And then when we see her again, she's got this, like, 80s hair, and they put her in, like, a Xena dress. But then they cover it again because Johnny Cage looks over and says, nice dress, and she gets to roll her eyes. And I was like, brilliant. You've, like, you've, you've clocked it. And clocked that it's stupid as well. So I'm like perfectly fine with this happening. You know, she wasn't having to like, she didn't get thrown around. She didn't get hit about. She didn't have to like do anything stupid in that dress. The minute she leaves, she's wearing like a big old cloak to cover it up. And I was just like, yes, perfect. Brilliant. Like, because all it's done is added a horrible trait to the villain is not taking anything away from her and her power within the film. So I was really impressed. Yeah, and I think that they do a really good job with her sort of character arc throughout the film. I mean, she's always seen, when they have the big fight scene, she's always shown holding her own. And when it gets to her being kidnapped, Mm. it's only basically because Shang Tsung needs to have this one victory. And out of the three, he basically puts his odds on that he could beat her um that he you know because johnny cage has basically beaten goro his top guy Liu kang he knows he can't beat because he's basically been training for this so he puts all his odds on the fact you know maybe i can beat this person who's sort of like not supposed to be here um yeah so that's the way i always i always saw, saw it but it never made sense like how she has this complete costume change in the 
the time that he like kidnaps her. It's all like you had all this yeah. time to like give her like a makeover and change her outfit and stuff. It's all like yeah. surely you like kidnap her, get the fight done, and like then get on with your invasion plans. Not well, maybe if I put yeah. you in this outfit, <laughs> it's all like yeah 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 then it'll be even more but then again you can sort of fill in the gaps where because we don't have a gratuitous scene where he throws the dress at her and says i'd like you to wear this for our final conference (laughs) you know there's none of that she's just there she's wearing it and you're like ew and they go ew and she's like i know right and i'm like fine done brilliant you nailed it again but then you're filling in the gaps by having it more about the villain and it's like oh he's probably clicked his fingers and changed her outfit like Sabrina and you know because he just wanted to like humiliate her further or whatever yeah yeah, I'm so glad that they didn't fall into so many traps they're like even good movies like Pirates of the Caribbean fall into yeah I love the fact you bring up Sabrina because um, obviously Shang Tsung played by Kari Huyoki Takawaga would turn up in Sabrina as well playing a martial artist no yeah, way. the episode where she uh, used oh, her amazing. magic to become a martial artist. Um, he's the top guy. <laughs> I knew I recognised him! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my god, I, I've seen that person recently. Who is he? And I had no idea, because I've just binge-watched the entire first season of Sabrina the Teenage yeah. Witch. And that's where I know him from. That is incredible. He's awesome. So, he's just I'm awesome. so glad you said um, that. That's... He's also not, he's oh. not uh, Chinese. He's from Hawaii. But in that uh, yeah. classic yeah. wrestling trait, you can be from Samoa and play Japanese people, or you can be from uh, from f- from Hawaii and adamantly play Chinese or Japanese people. So, yeah. But no, he really yeah. nailed what this character's supposed to be. You know, this sadistic and mm. egotistic sorcerer who's basically got a sideline stealing the souls of fallen fighters, and he's. Um, just this wonderful antagonist. And I mean, they've recently brought him back to do voice work for the new Mortal Kombat game because the fans, again, they, they nice. love him so much. They just sort of like, you know, you mm-hmm. are now the voice of Shang Tsung. Song. So. <laughs> Good for him. He honestly, he's a brilliant villain. He's, he's, he's like not too much. He easily could have gone. Because I'm, hands in the air, I am a big fan of the Dungeons and Dragons movies. And this was really reminiscent of them. And obviously Jeremy Irons' performance in the first Dungeons and Dragons movie is iconic for many reasons, none of which are good. And he never did that. He never went too far with this villain. He easily could have gone way over the top. But he, he res- it felt like he respected the movie and the environment and the atmosphere and he played perfectly within that. He didn't try and branch out and go too big and he didn't underplay it either. He was like right on the mark for how that villain needed to be. Yeah, definitely so. And I love the fact that when it comes to Chani sorcerers, they can be capable fighters because if we look at Dungeons & Dragons, if you use magic, then you're normally a weaker and you're normally a frail old man. Or, um, and very few characters mm-hmm. use magic have the same sort of strength strength of like you know the warrior classes so if you look at chinese sorcerers they're more than capable of holding their own they just use magic as this handy cheat if they need to which obviously is this case (laughs) i mean it's a real sort of cheap tactic just to turn into your opponent's brother and go oh you aren't going to kill me i'm your brother (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's it's so penny wise isn't it i was like boo (laughs) (laughs) 
And but yeah, uh, when we have that final sort of fight scene, and we got the spikes coming up because the whole you're going when back in the nineties, you're going into this as the fans of the movie, and you like seeing all your favorite characters on screen. It's all great, and it's all like we really want to see the pit, and then it gets to the end, and the spikes come up, and it's all like the pit was there the whole time, and uh, it was just a real yeah. sort of fanboy moment to finally see oh. see the pit like, and it is uh, just magically appearing out of the ground. Um, that's so cool it was really fun again like I love that they take us to this other random place and the, and the, they're able to do it so easily and well again because we get this banter of like oh great where the fuck are we now this place, <laughs> this place sucks why are we here kind of thing and you're like yeah it looks like a hell dimension not gonna lie you might want to get out of there ASAP um, and then, yeah, for the pit to sort of move around, all these random monks coming in, like, for no apparent reason. And then he's like, leave us! And they're like, okay, okay. Uh, we did yeah. all just spend, like, five minutes coming in, but... <laughs> well, we I... have that wonderful bird's eye view, or the god god view, uh, which is one of Vanderson's trademarks, much like having... Uh, scenes like mirror each other like you can put like a mirror between a lot of the sets and you see it like in the banquet sequence where everything's identical on both sides and these little quirks mm. that now are so standard for his film just sort of like making their first appearance in this film like his use of lighting and does him with Sonia really was like the first of his tough girl characters I mean obviously he managed mm. to make a nice career for his uh, now wife being playing Alice who now iconic female yeah. characters so yeah but um uh, yeah there's no I was really surprised there's just so many elements of this this film I just I love there's like not a character in that I don't wish wasn't there like it just satisfies so many different yeah. elements like you've got like Scorpion and Sub-Zero the the yellow and blue ninja and it's sort of like when you have uh, Scorpion in the woods, like in the game, it's just like a rope spear he throws. But in the film, it's this living entity that comes out of his hand. Um, yeah, so creepy. And the fact that they got so creepy. they got Ed Boon, who's like one of the creators of the game and voices Scorpion, um, just just oh. to do his get over here line. And I think if they got yeah. oh. like the actor to do it, and it hadn't been that sort of deep voice that we've become so iconic with this character, I think that it would have. Uh, not going over as well. I mean, the whole Scorpion Johnny Cage fight scene was added after um, the production was done because the test screenings like wanted more fighting, so they basically went out and shot this, and now <laughs> everybody loves this scene. It's all like nice. this weird scene that like goes <laughs> off to a hell dimension at the end of it for no apparent reason. Yeah, it did feel very tacked on, but I was like, I don't care. I'm having a great time. <laughs> like this makes no sense whatsoever, but it's great. Yeah. Um, I really love that. The way he's like so gymnastic-y, uh, like lifting up from the different platforms. Then he turns him into Ghost Rider and then he explodes and there's like skulls everywhere. I was like, fucking, this is brilliant. This is so good. Oh, not to mention like the Um, Johnny Cage, like to my biggest fan photo payoff at the end. Yeah. (laughs) So like, fatality. (laughs) That's it. That's what I was going to say. Um... I loved the like, um, oh, what is it? There's so many catchphrases. It's like flawless. Oh, d- kill yeah. Well, you um, you have uh, flawless, um, or mm-hmm. just flawless victory, and then you've got uh, like 
double flawless. And obviously, when you get into fatality, it's the it's the legendary now finish him. Um, and yeah, then finish him. From there, you can obviously go a number of directions. You can do like babality or friendship, or you can do fatalities or brutalities. As the games have gone on, they've added more and more <laughs> ways to like mess with your opponent. Like the idea of a friendship that you know you've fought this bloody battle and this guy like suddenly produces like a rainbow or like sub-zero makes like <laughs> makes you an ice cream or something it's like what <laughs> it, it's almost like this salt rubbing <laughs> salt in the wound it's like oh yeah i could beat you but i'm not yeah. gonna <laughs> yeah. but i'm not going to oh that's so cool yeah i mean i've i wouldn't say i've played mortal kombat mm. in my time i've button mashed yes. whilst mortal kombat was on the screen I believe that is the the most effective way to play that That's game. how most of us play it. Um, <laughs> we just like to think we know what good, we're doing. I'm glad. I was worried you were going to be like, um, I think you'll find. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I would just be like, which one's the kick button? <laughs> just like that. Um, so it was always really fun. And, and this, this, this had a really fun mixture of like, we're trying to do a movie that's kind of working, but we're also including these like well-known catchphrases and stuff. Um, I read in the IMDb trivia that they they kept trying to get the soundtrack produced through all these different music makers and everyone was like, fuck off, go away. <laughs> and they finally got to this like little indie bit and they were like, sure, we'll we'll do your like retro dance music soundtrack, which immediately goes to like number one. And it's so good. These like techno like dance music hits in every time they start fighting and i'm just like yeah <laughs> having a great time oh yeah there's just so much it's as we said before this film is just like fun throughout it doesn't take itself too seriously and it like it knows what it wants to be um and the i mean back mm-hmm. when this film came out like tom cruise was like filming in the hangar next door and had to wander over to say hi and the film crew basically chased him off um, Steven Spielberg <laughs> was going to have a cameo as Johnny Cage's uh, director at the beginning, but scheduling unfortunately didn't work out. So, yeah, that's such a shame. It's um, and but that guy kind of looked like him. Yeah, I mean, the, back when they were like optioning this as a producer, it took them like four, about six months to get them the game producers to like sign off and you know. On the vice because they thought, you know, this isn't going to make a good movie. This is our weird kung fu homage game that's, you know, nobody's going to want to see a movie <laughs> of this. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, basically, they saw uh, they they saw what they were doing with this and just saw these characters and like, you know, we could really make something of it. And I'm so glad that they really with this one they sort of nailed it. But like every film which followed, they just went horribly wrong. With like Annihilation was horrible and. It's it's there's been some hits with it like the late night TV series Conquest um, did some really mm. good stuff. It came gave it like the Xena Edge where everyone has like leather mm. outfits and fantastic cleavage. So if you're a young boy in the nineties, yeah. it was all like, wow, this is a great show. <laughs> I'm watching this for the plot. Yeah, <laughs> the plot is cleavages and. I think the the other sort of thing which gives it real sort of credibility is the fact that Robin Shu was cast as Liu Kang and he'd done a lot of um, sort of like martial arts movies and stuff and he was like really big on shooting everything in sort of like a Hong Kong way so he was encouraging like Lyndon Ashby to like 
take hits when they were doing fight scenes to make it look more realistic and like Linda Ashby for whatever reason was talked into so I was like oh yeah that sounds like a great idea and he's like by day two he's like hobbling back to his trailer he's going why the hell did I agree to shoot him like this <laughs> yeah, like, ow. but yeah he bruised his <laughs> kidney with the um, so oh, with the fight God. scene with Scorpion and uh, oh. I mean all the, the actors I mean like both him and uh, Bridget Wilson they were doing their own fight scenes they're doing their own stunt work and it really sort of pays yeah. off, but you can tell the actors who can fight because they're shot at a long, yeah, long open lens, where those who perhaps don't have the sort of fighting chops are shot in a more close up. And I think that's always mm. you can tell when you can tell somebody knows their stuff. Like you look at the John Wick movies and Keanu, who's like there from like day one with the stuntman, and spends all these like hours and hours doing doing like stunt fighting work with them, and this is why they shoot him on such a long lens, just because they know they can shoot him from any angle and it's going to look great. It's not like they're going to have to bring it in. And I mean, even with those movies, there's like when we look at um, like Mark Dacos who could turn up as the uh, sushi chef in Part Three, and I remember my <laughs> friends going. Why is the Iron Chef in this? And I was like, what are you talking about, the Iron Chef? And it was like, this is Mark Dacos. He's like, we're no martial artist. He's in Crime Freeman and Drive and all these movies that you probably have not watched. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I was really excited to see him. And, and you could tell, like, the people Keanu brings into these movies just what, like, like, as I said, with the guys who made this movie, what sort of, like, fans of, like, martial arts cinema they are, just, like, the people he chooses yeah. to work with. A lot of them are like real sort of deep they cuts. They know what they're doing. Like he has like the guys yeah. in the raid. And it's like, wow, that's a real deep oh, cut. Oh, wow. Good find. Yeah, that's so cool. It really does make a difference that, as you say, even though you can tell they're not particularly trained, they're still doing it. And I think that really adds an enjoyment level to it, for sure. Um, it really felt influential as a movie i don't know how influential it is but it feels like this movie walked so things like guardians of the galaxy could run do you know what i mean like it just feels like a lot of people watched mortal kombat in the 90s and then went on to make their own movies i think and yeah i think with mortal kombat it had it in the back of their head you know it's that vhs sort of era in where it sort of like came out and mm. critics hate it, but it like goes on to do like yeah. huge business on VHS. And as I said, it was like the sleepover yeah. movie of choice. So of course, like you go to the video store and it's like we're gonna rent Mortal Kombat. <laughs> like we're done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, night finished. Yeah, it was sort of like the quickest like trip to the video store ever because normally you, if it was anything like myself, you go to the video store and you're like there for hours and you're just like, come on, hours going from A to Z. Yeah, just like looking at all the all those wonderful covers, especially in the horror section where mm-hmm. you would never rent anything, but you get your kicks just looking at the backs and going, "Oh, look at this one!" Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> look at that poster. <laughs> but no, I can totally, I can totally. It's sort of similar to like the Mummy movies, mm. just really fun. Um, you can stick it on the in the background. You can pay attention to it. Either way, you're going to have a great time. It's a visual treat. And I, I can see why the sequels might not have worked. I think this was quite lightning in a bottle where... Because they allowed elements of comedy that weren't perhaps in the original script. And because they had everyone doing their own stunts. And because they had these brilliant sets and the clever use of lighting. 
not even it is clever like i don't want to deny that at all but it, it is also just like a really interesting use of lighting just like just like they easily could have had that scene with completely normal bedroom lighting but they made it all like green or whatever and yeah. it, like it's just like yeah that's cool i now remember that because it was visually interesting and different um that's just... and if they didn't do that in the later ones then yeah i could see where they would flop yeah, and it's so straight to the point that you do, you could like go into this film not knowing anything about the film, the game, or these characters, and you can like instantly, it just br- brings you in and like introduce everything, but not in like a condescending way that's like annoying if you're a fan. Where mm. I mean, these video game movies are notoriously difficult because these are like paper thin characters mm. at the end of the day. As yeah. much as the experience we put onto them, they're very sort of basic yeah. outlines of like. Oh, this is Scorpion. He's an undead ninja. This is Sub Zero. He's a nice ninja. We haven't just color swapped him because it's easy. Um, this is Reptile. He's a lizard ninja. No, we have not just color swapped him the same way we would do like eight other times in this game. Um, yeah. Which, again, it's one of those things you can tell as a Mortal Kombat fan when, like, in our current climate, and it's sort of like. People complain about wearing masks, and it's like, like you can tell them what combat fans. It's like, who doesn't want to go to the supermarket and pretend to be Scorpion? It's like, <laughs> or Melina or Katana. Like, they just, um, for them, it's like the, the nothing better could have happened than the world being forced to wear face masks. <laughs> yeah, that's such a good point. They've made it, it's, it's back on trend. Yes, exactly. So um, good. But no, in the terms of like the plotting, it's so you know it's just click, 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 click. Like you know, we're we got the opening sort of fight scene where we see um, Lou's brother getting killed, and then it's snapped to him in the bedroom, and he gets the mm-hmm. telegram, and it's like your brother's dead, and then it's like yes, we know why he's going to this place, and it's like everything's like yeah. these quick bursts of information. It's not like I'm gonna go to this thing and I've gotta talk to this person and that. It's like no, we we know yeah. why we're here. We just need enough information to get us to the next part. And I think... Literally. And, yeah, it's such a testament. It's just straight to the point. Like, brevity is the soul of wit. There's no boring, prolonged scenes. Just boom, boom, boom. What we doing? Yes. And I think, again, by having this set in a tournament fighting setting, you can move from... You can introduce characters really quick. And then you can dispose of them. Real quick, just as quick. Yeah. Um, like we can have all these like fighters from Earthrealm, but we can like get rid of them all in five seconds if we need to because they're now out of the tournament, and we can just keep it focused on these yeah. guys. So we can create a lot of depth very easily and create a lot of action very easily. Yeah. But at the same time, we don't have to put a lot of emphasis on explaining who all these bit players are because they're just there to yeah, sort of for sure. pad out uh, what's happening. Yeah, 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 and to make it sort of make sense of it. No, it's it's so good. It's so it's so it's so well done. Like it really is. I loved the ending. I think if we briefly just mention that Princess Katana is a character in this movie, and that's about as far as that explanation goes. Um, but I love that they don't really all they they don't really hook up at the end. No one. There's implications that it's like, oh, it's a pair and a pair. <laughs> yeah. But there's no sort of like, oh, now will you marry me kind of thing. It actually ends with like the Power Rangers villain coming out of the temple and they're like, let's go to 
work, lads, and then it cuts to credits, and you're like, hey, <laughs> so good. Yes, uh, that wonderful ending where we get to see the Emperor, and then we get onto Annihilation, and it picks up exactly where the first film ends. Oh, um, does it? It does. Oh, that's kind of disappointing. Like, when they tried to do that with Incredibles 2, I never needed them... I never needed to see them fight the mole man. Yeah. <laughs> because their story was done. And in this sense, I was like, I'm really glad that we got to see the Emperor because he's been talked about this whole time. And I thought the Emperor... Honestly, the like temple was rumbling and out loud. I was like, ooh, be the dragon, be a dragon, be a dragon. Because yeah. <laughs> I thought it was going to be the like dragon from the logo. And then it was like this weird like rock biter from the Never Running Story with like a fun hat on. I was like, that's that's just as cool. Like, I'm really enjoying that visually. And then they, like, line up like they're on the front page of the Animorphs and they, like, all bring their fists up and then it, like, cuts to credits. And I was like, perfect. I got to see the Emperor. I know they're going to kick his ass. I don't need to see it happen. This this is a perfect movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely so. I mean, obviously, we got... Yes, we end with Outworld, Emperor, Shao Kahn, uh, the big guy um basically uh shang tsung's boss and um yeah it's kind of disappointing when he obviously turns up in annihilation but i think annihilation generally was just a big disappointment there's a lot of misfire ideas there and it was let down Mm. by some hokey cgi even hokier writing and it also suffered the same fate of street fighter where it was basically like oh we've got all these characters that we want to now cram in it doesn't show the same sort of restraint we see here where we have like a small group of characters. Um, it just mm. basically tried to shove in like every man and his dog into this film. And it just, it just, as I said, it's just a horrible, horrible film that uh, was tainted until we saw, um, really until we had like the fan film uh, model combat. I want to see Legacy, um, which is directed by the same guy who gave us the fame remake. Um, oh no way <laughs> yes he also did the uh, Pink Ranger movie which really annoyed the guys at Saban who tried to sue him um, but yeah <laughs> it, it went into like its own like Mortal Kombat web series where they were trying to give a real world twist on uh, the Mortal Kombat franchise and it was a really interesting fan film the idea where they're going where you had had like Reptile who's like uh, basically like this circus freak who's got this skin condition and you had like um, you you had basically Scorpion who was going to go into this underground fighting contest as like the representative of Earthrealm, and he was just like this hired assassin guy, and it was a really still a really interesting short. And in the web series itself was really interesting, even though they ultimately went back to the more fantastical elements. And you had like Raiden, who's in like in a mental asylum because nobody believes he's a Chinese thunder <laughs> god. Um, oh my god. <laughs> I'll send it over to you and you can enjoy that. Uh, yeah. Now we've all got nothing but time on our hands, so. <laughs> I mean, I'm looking here on IMDb, there's so many, there's there's so many Mortal Kombats. And it, you know, I'm not even surprised. It's, it's, a, it's a cute little idea that kind of um, springs off millions of other ideas if you're in the right frame of mind. And 
I think it's a good source material that I mean isn't there a new one coming out this year yes there's a new one I typed in Mortal Kombat and it was like 2020 and I was like wait what (laughs) we'll wait to see if that happens it's (laughs) 2021 even (laughs) so but yeah there's a new one coming out Uh, certainly the casting and everything seems to be lining up again you've got a lot of um, actual proper martial artists who are involved in the production so that makes us hopeful and I just, um, I think even if it's not bad, um, I think this film is sort of very secure in its place in the fandom. That it's its own mm. thing. Even when you look at the games, even though you have like several years of just really bad entries, just that you have that one good entry, and it's sort of like everything's right with the world again. Because um, yeah. you have you have that sort of like golden period from like Mortal Kombat one to three, and then. It goes into that horrible 3D realm, and finally, by the time we get to Mortal Kombat X, um, that you know everything seems right with the world, and it's now just like back to what it was—this perfect sort of fighting game. Yeah, so. but yeah, um, that's all my notes. Anything else you want to say about it? And just sort of like going to seven look for it because I think, we, as I said, we've covered a lot, a lot of it. Um, certainly, in terms of like the censorship for this film, the studio decided they wanted to make it PG thirteen. Uh, so mm. when you're dealing with an 18 rated game that's kind of difficult because Mortal Kombat is all about you know, blood and violence that was its its thing I mean this is a game where you can uppercut a guy and tear his head and spinal cord out if you wanted it's, and it's like how do you transfer that into a, um, into a, a, a movie that's um, both marketable from the studio standpoint because I'm sure you can make it like exactly the same as the game and the, the fanboys and girls would absolutely love it uh, because you know, nineties kids were all little bloodthirsty demons like that. So, <laughs> it's so true. Honestly, it opened with that sort of fight, and I was like, "This must have scratched so many itches of like kids in the nineties that were like, yeah, violence.'" <laughs> but like, it's still good for small kids. You're absolutely right. I didn't even clock that the game would, of course, be an eighteen. Um, yeah. In my head, I was like, "The game's." for everyone it's just a fun little game game like you know you just do a couple of kicks and a couple of punches but then i remember reading an article a couple of years back when they brought out a new one and as you say it was like and then they rip out your spinal cord oh they've got worse the now are like wait what it's like when i look at like yeah. what we had in like the original game and it looks so timid now compared to some of the things we have in like the new game where they're just like reducing people into like small bloody bits and you have yeah and i think that's what i'm remembering the sort of almost innocence of just a punch and a kick so then when the movie was a 15 i was like that makes complete sense because you're able to make it rough enough to like be a bit edgy well but this is the thing with the sensors um they have no qualms if you're doing it supernatural being or it's a supernatural death so they're fine with those elements so you can have like sub-zero so weird, isn't it? be like frozen we all... can have him rip his face off yeah because he's a supernatural being slice the skull in half <laughs> set it on fire and explode and that's totally fine because it's like vaguely supernatural yeah and these are like the ways so that bizarre. anderson got like fatality it's like sub-zero has like the icicle through the chest and it's like well that's mm. a fatality yeah that works yeah um yeah and other things you just like you give the audience enough of a taste. So like when he falls down mm. onto the spikes, we cut away at the last minute and then we see his reaction. But in our mind, we've seen like the spike go through him 
so we've seen it been impaled yeah. so we don't feel like we've been cheated as the audience because we've seen like a guy knocked into the yeah. pit um we didn't need to see like running man style or like the big spike coming from him or anything like that um yeah, yeah and this again i think this is why it was so popular with like as the sleeper movie choice i mean it's scratching that that itch of like violence and gore but at the same time having that sort of safety net um and it's the same way you would watch like you would rent like you know Schwarzenegger movies or like um Steven Seagal movies mm-hmm. and stuff like I remember like having sleepovers and you watch like um Under Siege and it's sort of like it's so it's like Steven Seagal you're so cool you're like a chef and you can do kung fu and weld two machine guns and it's like you all this sort of like um sort of violence because it's on this sort of like safe sort of level the same way that like you see Arnie in Commando and he's like gunning down hundreds of people but it's in this safe way because he does that James Bond thing where he kills some he does like a horrible act of violence and then he has like a funny one liner and it disables that that act of violence. So there's always <laughs> ways to get around violence yet still be satisfying. Um whereas yeah, I think yeah. modern filmmakers now they just try to play it too safe. They try to have things off screen or don't give us enough of a taste. Um yeah, to really sort of satisfy it. Scared. Or they go the complete opposite direction where they are like, and now we're going to rip his face off. And you're like, I mean, it's not even that I'm squeamish. It's just that that added nothing yeah. other than like, you were like, what can I do with my computer? And it's like, yeah, congratulations. You went to like graphic school. Or <laughs> it's, um, but I, the same thing. I watch movies like The Raid and I see like the new John Wicks and it's all like, wow, this is intense. Even for like myself as like a martial arts fan. You see, like, mm. the guys in, like, the radio doing Salat, which is a fighting style based around elbows, knees, and knives. Um, yeah, the raid. The, I really enjoyed the raid. I've never seen a John Wick movie. I'm, um, Have you not? M from Verbal Diorama has sort of introduced Keanu in a big way into she my life. She is such a delight. I'm sure it's her, it's her sort of um, mission. You should watch and the John Wick movies, definitely. If you like yeah, this, then sure. I think you'd like the John Wick movies and he also did a movie mm. called um, um, I want to say The Man from Tai Chi which is like one of his sole directing credits where <laughs> he also plays a villain which is very out of uh, character for oh wow but, yeah, yeah it's a similar sort of oh, setup cool. to this um, yeah. and if you want to see like the futuristic version there's a movie from a few years previously uh, called Arena which is basically Mortal Kombat but in space <laughs> Oh my god! Um, In space. But again, it's all practical effects. So you've got like humanoid guys nice. fighting like big guys in like huge makeup um, get-ups and stuff. So ah, oh, that's what I want. That's what I want to see. I want more gamorks and less krakens. Yes. Twenty twenty. Twenty twenty one. We'll sort you package. We'll put some stuff together. And- it's like, it's like this is this is what you need kung to work. Kung fu care. Yeah, kung fu care exactly. <laughs> I love it. I look forward to it. Um, this was genuinely so much fun, and I'm genuinely going to be revisiting it with a so much alcohol, so <laughs> much alcohol. Like I literally messaged my friends, being like, the movie pauses, almost looks to the camera to give you time to be like sarcastic comment clink <laughs> chug 
And then it carries on. It's like made for a drinking game. The amount of times they say Mortal Kombat, the amount of times they say finish him. I was I was starting to take sips with my water every time someone was like, Mortal Kombat. And I was like, oh, drink. <laughs> like, it's just so naturally set up for a drinking game. Um, I'm sure millions of people across the world have done drinking games this movie. I will n- not, of course, not be the first, but I'm very excited to join them in this endeavor um so thank you so much i'm so glad that you um you chose it as your movie it was so it's it's it was so fun i'm so glad that you enjoyed it i mean when we were talking about like a movie from childhood it's like so many of my movies that i grew up with are now like deleted titles like flight of dragons or it's sort of like do i really want to subject it to my godzilla nerdy ramblings and talk about <laughs> like um, a... i did say yeah, the the when you were like any Godzilla movie, I was like, mm, pass. <laughs> <laughs> no, Godzilla is a, it's just a wonderful thing that that you can carry through life with you, and it only gets better. And you can totally, you can totally justify that, like 150 you spent on the Criterion Collection, that now doesn't fit on the shelf because some bright spark at Criterion thought, let's make it bigger than a book. This huge thing you've now got to <laughs> oh lay God. on its side. amazing well maybe you'll have to like um introduce me to the world of godzilla i think that's what we do a whole godzilla episode where we break it down um, the flight of dragons is that the rankin and base i is that an animated it's an animated movie movie, um where you've basically got that you know dungeon dragon sort of setup where um this guy gets brought in from like the real world uh through the board game and turned into a dragon and um oh my god we're gonna have to find that it's it's out there um i think you can you can you can get it on a i think a what i would consider an overpriced dvd but i think you can get it for amazon oh yeah i was gonna say like you could probably get it for like 23 pounds yeah or something. it's sort of like just a little bit too much because it's like sort of out of print um so yeah that's I think that's one that's well, Joe. It's well worth a, a re-release or just to turn up randomly on Amazon Prime because Amazon Prime, for whatever reason, has turned into like the greatest video store with some of the titles they have it on there. Has. It's like they stop caring and just put like anything that we can get our hands on. We're just a yeah. load, and um, and now I get super angry when I can't find yeah. something on Amazon Prime. I'm like, what do you mean it's not on Amazon Prime? It, it can't exist if it's not on Amazon Prime. It's a shame you know? the algorithm for Amazon Prime is so broken that you have to basically do a deep dive. You have to like find that, that one title and then just go through the recommendations and just keep diving further. Like You're typing like Nam Angels, which is like a Bikers in Vietnam uh, movie. <laughs> um, and you just like go through there, you like go off to different, all these different like hidden movies that are in there, so... It's a shame they don't go out of their way to sort of advertise the fact that they're there, but if you um, if you t- type in the right words, occasionally you can stumble across something fun. Um, especially because, I mean, at the moment we're obviously recording this and I'm in the midst of like the 31 days of Halloween. And uh, thanks to Amazon, I watched uh, God Mo- Monster of the Indian Flats, which is a giant mutant sheep movie that they had on there. But I've noticed now they're actually <sighs> charging for it, so... I think you're a real sucker no. if you're paying for that because I was, I was offended getting it through Prime for free. So, yeah, yeah. But um, like all these things, you know, 
if you get creative, you can always find what you need on the internet. So. Yes, thank God for the internet. What would we do without you? Uh, speaking of the internet, where can we find you on the internet and your various my various um, <laughs> endeavors? Um, well, obviously, my main blog is uh, from the depths of DVD Hell, uh, which you can find at uh, mm-hmm. from the depths of DVD Hell um, I've just recently transferred over from Blogger after ten years over there, and um, I'm also wow. in the process again of him put up on Letterbox, which again is just the greatest hangout if you're a movie fan. Once you start following the right people it just becomes like a delight to go on there every day and see what everyone's watching um in terms of uh podcasting though um you can obviously find me on ace and cinema film club um which is i do with my co-host steven the professor where every couple of weeks we take in turns to pick a film and um discuss it and it's been real fun because obviously he comes to a background of like classy fair um as i like to say because he worked over at eastern kicks and my fair is more like video store, like sort of like the cult and obscure, like anime and kung fu movies and stuff. So we have a real good blend. And every Christmas we celebrate Kaiju Christmas, where I oh. force him to watch a Kaiju movie. So we've done a couple of Godzilla movies. <laughs> and this year we're doing uh, Pogosara, which is a Korean monster movie directed by uh, the dictator Kim Jong-un, who... Um, he kidnapped the director and his wife to force him to make movies for him in North Korea. And there's a really fascinating book called The Despot. Um, the Despot and the Director, I think it's called. But I will find you the link and send it oh over to you. Um, but um, yeah, our next film we're talking about is A Penguin's Tale, which was originally um, an animated feature created for Santori Whiskey whose mascot is a penguin. It looks kind of like the club penguin penguins. Aww. But um, for some reason that translated as, oh, let's make the deer hunter with penguins. So it's about this <laughs> penguin coming back from Vietnam and having like flashbacks <laughs> to the war. Oh my so, God. What's a penguin doing in Vietnam? That, all, the, all the characters are all penguins. So all your characters are penguins. So, and um, oh. yeah, that's... Uh, a movie that's in the public. That sounds incredible. So, um, and my other... Sh- Move aside, happy feet. <laughs> Indeed. Um, it's like Princess Mononoke, <laughs> where Disney didn't quite know what they were getting when they signed on. I'm so glad that they didn't, because we got so much good shit, because they, they kind of fucked up with Princess Mononoke. They're like, animation? Excellent. <laughs> yeah. Children, right? And, um, and then it like opens with his arm getting ripped off by a demon boar and you're like yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Miyazaki really knew how to play that because um when with Norsco mm-hmm. Valley the when they tried to edit it they edited it and did a horrible job so he sent them over a samurai sword with a note attached saying no cuts so Disney possibly the best yeah. little tidbit of information from cinema ever like what a badass but yeah no the, cuts Harvey you can... Weinstein to Disney they can re-dub their movies and put like the celebrity voice actors in and whatnot, but they can't edit anything out of their movies that's the contract that they have Um, I love it but my other show is Movies and Tea which I host with the lovely Kim Lowe and uh, each season we break down a different director's filmography and um, so far we've done Paul W. Sanderson so a lot of Resident Evil movies Uh, we did (laughs) Sofia Coppola, Guillermo del Toro Ang Lee and we're currently in our David Fincher season. Um, Ooh, and then... That's long. That must be long. 
it's not too bad. It's I mean, these seasons are about eight episodes apiece, so it's with Finch. His, all of his movies are like four hours too long. But Finch is such <laughs> a delight. Movie. I mean, he did the greatest movie of the last decade with The Social Network, a movie that should have been a TV movie at best. But it's like, in the hands of Fincher, it's this wonderful masterpiece of cinema. That's uh, fair. I think I was watching a lot of Fincher when I was too young. Cause he's Fight Club, right? Yes. And um, and then he did Zodiac. Yeah. And he did The Game. Yeah. See, we watched Zodiac at a sleepover. And That's it is, heavy. unlike Mortal Kombat. That's really not heavy. Not a sleepover movie. Um, and I was like, fuck this guy. I would say for like your sleepover movie for Fincher, Fight um, 7 issue one that we all used to watch yeah that's fair um, I, I watched that when I was too young as well and I was like I hate this man he's trying he's to frighten the shit out of me and it's like maybe you shouldn't watch it when you're 13 no oh. <laughs> um, but no we we watching like the game and I just like I just forgot how good that movie is and I was all like for the next two weeks it was like everyone like all my film friends and stuff it's like have you rewatched the game recently you have to go watch the game again it's like <laughs> Michael Douglas's <laughs> best movie <laughs> it's like <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, that's my, my two main sort of like outlets, uh, amongst my many other random projects. I mean, we put together like a thousand and one film introduction to Colton Obscure Cinema called the, uh, Mad, Bad and Damage Strange List. And, um, wow. I just, I don't, what is, it? I just like, uh, I just like to keep busy and podcasting provides this wonderful outlet to meet and chat with film people, um, the, yeah. about, the, about films the way that I like to talk about films just get like we've done tonight yes. just get really down into the guts of the things just and get deep into it yeah and not have someone be like I mean yeah it was fine and you're like but we need to talk about the themes yeah. and how they played in well with the choices of and they're like nah it's, it was fine it's like when you're at work and someone says oh I'm a film fan and you're like oh good it's like I will crawl across broken glass for you, friendship. And they're like, "Yeah, I watched the watch." And you're like, "No, we we are very different people." <laughs> you you go sit over there. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing ever wrong with you know what you find enjoyable no. and like, and like we're not ever trying to be snobby. And I think it's more that like we know the the level in which we enjoy talking about things isn't the normal level but we're very lucky in that we do have the internet as you say and we can be connected with people that aren't bored when <laughs> we go off on one yeah talking I mean, about choices and life not everybody wants to know about your theory about why doug mcclure is the greatest <laughs> saturday morning afternoon <laughs> i mean the simpsons recognized it with troy mcclure um ah! that's where that comes from <laughs> but yes oh my god doug mcclure is my saturday morning uh, matinee hero and did like the F's core oh. and warlords of atlantis and like um oh. humanoids in the deep and cannibal run 2 and i just if there's a he's like um brian trenchard smith if there's a movie of his that comes up that i haven't seen i will strive to like rush out and watch it but he's nice he's um i liked him he was like as i said he had that kirk vibe of you know seducing exotic yeah. women and solving problems by punching them <laughs> Kirk vibe. I love that. I'm going to use that. <laughs> Sums it up perfectly. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. This was such a joy. Um, as I say, I really, really, really enjoyed the movie. So thank you so much. I hope you had a good time. Oh, it's my pleasure. This has been a, a delight. And I hope that there's people just like not wondering uh, 
why they're tuning into just two people just like geeking out for like over an hour about this bloody Mortal Kombat movie. So I hope. I really feel like there's gonna be a lot of people that enjoy this movie out there. So I really hope they find this episode and they. And I they, hope so. You know, if you if you do find this episode and you're new to this podcast or you're new to either of us, then like let us know. Uh, email in whythisfilmpodcast at gmail dot com or find us across social media. And tell us what you thought of Mortal Kombat. Do you agree with us? Did was it sexist? Am I stupid? Was it not sexist? Am I right? Tell me. <laughs> tell us. Let us know. Join the conversation. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll see you next time on Why This Film. Bye. So I've been asked to do some promo for these two lads, Ryan and Paul, for their podcast, Cold Callers Comedy. Quite honestly, I've never listened to it because it sounds like sh**. But what I can tell you is that my show, Artie's Artist Acts, is one of the segments, and that is an absolute peaky blinder you can't miss out on. Whoa, what the hell, Tom? You meant to promote our show, not slag it off. I couldn't care less, mate. Well, you should. You're on the podcast. Yeah, how about a little gratitude? Brain, show them how grateful we are. Your precious podcast. Gratefully accepted. Um, we're not giving it to you. Admirable. What a mistake. <laughs> so yeah, listen to my show, Cold Callers Comedy, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, and all the other podcast platforms. The podcast rises. Come here. Why This Film Podcast has a Patreon. Patreon is a membership platform that makes it easy for artists and creators to get paid. Head to patreon.com forward slash why this film podcast and you can select a tier. For £3 a month, you can join Camelot and enjoy early access to episodes, including seasons one to three. You'll get to vote in polls and get a personal shout out on the pod. For £5 a month, you can join Ferngully with instant access to everything from Camelot. Ferngully members can also enjoy bonus content, live episode voting power, plus access to monthly movie night. Grab your popcorn and a drink of your choice as we pyjama up and watch a movie together remotely. And for £10 a month, you can join the Enchanted Forest, where on top of everything from Camelot and Ferngully, you can be part of a live episode where we all discuss a movie chosen by you. And if you're not into 80s and 90s animated tiers, you can skip all that and make a custom pledge of an amount that suits you. Or you can head over to co-fi.com forward slash why this film podcast and buy me a coffee with a one-off payment. We will be adding hot chocolate to that coffee. And probably cream and marshmallows and sprinkles. But you don't need to worry about that. Thank you to all who donate. And thanks to my patron, David, for supporting this episode on Patreon. Why This Film Podcast is my happy place. I love chatting to guests and revisiting long-lost movies. And I hope you do too.